It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for uh, taking the time to come and worship together. This morning we begin our journey through the Gospel of Mark, and the word gospel literally, literally means good news, so we could say that this morning we are beginning our journey of looking at the good news as recorded for us by a man named Mark. The good news. The good news is that Jesus, God's only Son, left His home in heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life, never sinned, not even one single time. At the end of His life, He willingly and lovingly went to the cross and was crucified, shed His blood, His perfect blood, as the full and final and complete payment for all of our sin. He died on the cross, let there be no mistake. Some people say He just went into a coma and uh, sort of fell asleep for a few hours and then was awakened. That never happened. He died on the cross. He was buried. He spent three days in the grave. And at the end of three days, he came back to life. He walked around Jerusalem. He walked on this earth for 40 days, and then he returned to heaven. That, my friends, is the good news that Mark is talking about. Now, the scriptural basis, it's interesting. We had all this on on, oh, I have to tell you, these slides, they were absolutely beautiful this morning. I just can't tell you how nice they really were, but then the projector broke. So uh, you just have to imagine that they're here, but if you, if you, we don't have slides. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. The scriptural truth that we get, or the scriptural truth that we find that talks about this thing that we call the good news, is found in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. Now, let me say this with your pencil or highlighter or whatever you want to do. I, you will discover, if you haven't already, I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy, I like to mark all over my Bible. So I would encourage you to either underline, draw a box around or a circle around four that's. Okay? T-H-A-T-S. There's four that's in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3, that talk about this good news. Verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that, there's the first one, underline it, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that, there's the second one, that he was buried, that, there's the third one, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that, there's our fourth one, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Now there's one more, it says after that, but you don't need to underline that one. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom, Paul says, are still living today, though some have fallen asleep. The Gospel of Mark is the good news of Jesus. Now, before we get too far into our study for this morning, I want to give us some background on the Gospel of Mark. We know that there are four Gospels in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one is similar to the other three, yet different from the other three. These are not the same exact stories told by four different people. There's pieces that intertwine, but each of the four is similar to, yet different from the other three. Over the next 16 weeks, we will come to discover that Mark presents Jesus as a servant. Mark emphasizes, and I think this is interesting to note, Mark emphasizes what Jesus did 
rather than what he said. In one of my study Bibles at home, I, I wrote down this paragraph as they described Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel emphasizes actions and deeds. Jesus is on the go. Healing, casting out demons, performing miracles, hurrying from place to place, and teaching. The key word in the Gospel of Mark is the word immediately. Now some Bibles have changed that word to at once. Or you may have a translation that uses a different word, but I want us to understand this. Immediately, 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 depending on which Bible translation you're using, the word immediately appears 39 times within those 16 chapters. As soon as one episode ends, another one begins. Immediately, immediately. The rapid place slows down when Jesus enters Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11. And after that, the events are marked by days as he's in Jerusalem just before he's crucified. And in his final day, the events are identified by hours. Within the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have 35 recorded miracles of Jesus. Within the Gospel of Mark, we have 18 of those 35 miracles. Now, there's things that are possible for us to do, and there are things that are impossible for us to do. One of the things that is impossible for us to do is to precisely date the time when Mark chose to write this, this book. We can get close, but we will never know exactly when he wrote this book. We can identify dates within the gospel, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when was it that Mark actually took the time to write this. As close as we can get, and for our next 16 weeks here at Cross Point, we're going to assume that Mark was the first gospel written. Most evangelical Bible scholars will agree with that. And if you want to write these dates down, I find it interesting. Mark was written somewhere in the mid-50s, perhaps as late as 60. Now, I know there's other people who think he was, that it was written later, but I think it was mid-50s to 60s. Matthew and Luke were written at about the same time. They were written between the 60s and 70s, and John was the last gospel written, somewhere between 85 and 100 A.D. The bottom line for us to understand is this, as Christians, whether the Gospels were written soon after the, de the birth, the death of Christ, or whether they were written decades after that, really doesn't matter. It has no bearing on our life today. What we're not interested in is when they were written. We're, written, we're interested in what these Gospels are. These Gospels are part of Holy Scripture. It says, in, turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. I want us to look at verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Now before I read that verse, I just want you to imagine the Apostle Paul is talking about Holy Scripture. Okay, and if, if, if we want to be very specific when we go back in time, what Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy is the Old Testament. When Paul writes this letter, 2 Timothy, there is no New Testament. All that we have at this point are scrolls. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture 
is God-ordained. Turn with me to another passage. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now you just have to let those words sort of flow into your mind and imagine what does that look like to you. These prophets spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What do you think that means? Does that mean that, that uh, let's take Mark for example, that Mark was sitting at a table one day with his pen or pencil or quill or whatever he was using to write with, and that the Holy Spirit just sort of grabbed his arm and Mark went into some kind of a trance and then the Holy Spirit moved his hand. Now, that isn't what happened. But however Mark was writing this, that we now hold in our hands and call the Gospel of Mark, it was all ordained by God and it was the Holy Spirit who influenced Mark to write what he wrote. Tradition holds that Mark is the author of the gospel with his name. We know this about him. We know he was Jewish. We know that he sometimes went by two different names. There's a number of people in the New Testament that go, Simon, also known as Peter. Paul, sometimes known as Saul. Mark also went by two different names. John Mark. We have reason to believe he was born in Jerusalem, and according to, and I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 12, and by the way, we will eventually get to Mark chapter 1. Turn with me to Acts chapter 12. We will discover that Mark's mom's name is Mary, that she had a large house where the church in Jerusalem gathered together from time to time, and from this passage alone, we can discover that Mark's family was probably not what we would call poor, but they may not have been rich, but somewhere in between because we discover that his family had servants. Look at Acts 12. Follow along as I begin reading five verses beginning with verse 12. When this had dawned on him, well now this context of this is talking about Peter. When this had dawned on Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So we know that Mark... Sometimes goes by Mark, sometimes goes by John, sometimes goes by John Mark. We know that Mark, the guy that wrote the gospel that we hold in our hands, had a cousin named Barnabas. We also know that Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Turn, stay in Acts chapter 12, look at verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John also called Mark. However, things didn't work out as they had planned. Turn the page, go to Acts 13, look at verse 13. Mark left before the first missionary journey was completed. 
Acts 13, 13 says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John, that's John Mark, by the way, left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, since Mark deserted Paul, think about this. How would you like that in your life? Have you ever had anybody that just sort of deserted you, just sort of walked away from you, they wanted nothing to do with you? That's the situation here in Acts 13 on the first missionary journey. Paul, because of the way he acted, because of the way Mark acted on that first missionary journey, he did not want him to go with them on the second missionary journey. That's understandable from a human perspective. Hey, we took him last time and he quit in the middle. I don't want him to go with us next time. So instead, Mark goes with Barnabas and Paul takes Silas. Some people would say, well, this is really a good thing. This was the sovereignty of God that Paul did not want John Mark traveling with him because now all of a sudden we have two missionary teams going instead of one. Mark is with Barnabas, his cousin, and Paul and Silas head another direction. Now that story, the story of him leaving is in Acts 15, verse 36. Turn a couple pages. Acts 15, beginning in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued to work with them. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the church. Now, Paul is just as human as you and I. Even though he has this wonderful relationship with Christ, he's still just as human as we are. He did not hold a grudge for the rest of his life against this young guy named Mark. In fact, when we get to the end of the Apostle Paul's life, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is in a Roman prison, and here he is at the end of his life, and he says this, Verse 11, 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. So, even though Mark had deserted them on the first missionary journey, Paul did not hold what I would call a lifelong grudge. It's not like the Hatfields and McCoys that were fighting with each other in Kentucky for Decades upon decades. The Apostle Paul demonstrated forgiveness and he wanted Mark to come and visit him while he was in Rome. Now, because Mark wrote primarily, this is going to be interesting as we work our way through the 16 chapters, because he primarily wrote for Gentiles living in Rome, that's where Paul is in prison, Mark is visiting him. He explained Jewish customs, but seldom quoted from the Old Testament. You know why? Because Gentiles living in Rome have little or no interest in all that Jewish history. So we'll see that he's definitely writing to Gentiles as we work our way through. Now with that as some basic background, let's take our Bibles. And even though our time might seem like it's half gone, we're just getting started this morning. So let's turn to Mark chapter 1. And a number of you I know read this maybe more than one time last week prior to coming here. 
There's a couple things that I've done in my Bible that I would encourage you to do. If, at least for now, write them in your little notebook or whatever you want. Um, I have made it a habit to underline or circle every time the word immediately shows up. Every time you see immediately, underline that in the Gospel of Mark. Or, you know, I have this one Bible that changes it to, it uses this phrase, at once. It's the same thing. I've also made it a habit of underlining people's names. I make a habit of underlining geographic locations. Whatever works for you. So when you go back five years from now and you read through the Gospel of Mark again, I'm just hoping that God will bring some of these things to memory. So let me read through quickly Mark chapter 1. And then since we will never have enough time to talk about every little detail in every chapter of the Gospel of Mark, if we did that, it would be a sermon series that would take at least two years. So if we're going to do this in 16 weeks, we already have a couple weeks set aside for something else. We're going to try and identify one or two significant things from each chapter that we can apply to our life. But for the time being, just follow with me. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him. They were baptized by John in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now let me, let me just stop here, remind us of one thing. Uh, many of us probably know people, or we, we knew of people, who were part of a different religious organization known as Jehovah's Witness. They do not believe in the Trinity. And and one of the primary reasons they do not believe in the Trinity is because they say the word Trinity never appears in the New Testament. And they're, from, for that aspect, they're right. The actual word Trinity never appears in the New Testament. But the Trinity does appear in the New Testament, and it just appears right here in this little paragraph. Because all three parts of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three parts of the Trinity are at work here. Jesus is about to be baptized. The Holy Spirit shows up in the form of a dove, and you can hear a voice from heaven. It's God the Father speaking. So in my Bible, if you were going to turn to Mark chapter 1 and look at this paragraph, I've got a box around that whole paragraph, and then I took a pen and wrote the Trinity right there so I can always find that paragraph. We believe in the Trinity. Verse 12 at once, 
or your Bible might say immediately. The Spirit sent him, Jesus, into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath day came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Verse 30, let's just pause here at verse 30. I want us to look at this. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. Some people have asked the question, rightfully so, I think it's a great question, Were any of the apostles or any of the disciples married? Yes. It says in verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law. Now, I've been around the block a couple times. I'm not aware of any way you can have a mother-in-law unless you get married. Would you agree? So we know that Simon, at least Simon, was married. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went into her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you were willing... You can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once or immediately with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely. Spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Okay. 
Mark's gospel begins not with the birth of Jesus, but it begins with Jesus already an adult as he's about to begin his ministry. The first person we meet in the gospel of Mark is some guy named John, who we now know is this guy we call John the Baptist. He's out there in the wilderness baptizing people who repent of their sin. Okay, just hold that thought right there. Now I need you to get into that time machine and go back 700 years before John the Baptist shows up. Go back 700... Go back 700 years before John shows up. Go back to Isaiah chapter 40. Keep one hand in Mark. Use your other hand. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. This is a prophecy from Isaiah the prophet. He gave this 700 years before John shows up. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That prophecy that was given 700 years before is now being fulfilled in the life of John the Baptist. The appearance of John the Baptist in the wilderness was the most important event in Israel's history in more than 300 years because it had been 300 years since Israel had heard a word from God. Now let's clarify a couple things and then we're going to look at something significant here. John's baptisms were twofold. They were for the forgiveness of sins, and they were to acknowledge, secondly, the person's desire to be obedient in doing what God was asking them to do. Let me say that again. John's baptisms were twofold. They were for people who wanted to repent of their sin, number one, and number two, they were for people who wanted to visit, uh, visually demonstrate that they were going to be obedient in doing what God wanted them to do with their life. Now, when we baptize people here at Cross Point, it's not for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? Let me say that again. When we baptize people here at Cross Point, it's not for the forgiveness of sins. When we baptize, we talk about how baptism is an outward expression of what the Lord has already done on the inside of their life. Our baptism here is not for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible clearly teaches that if we want our sin forgiven, we simply repent Ask God to forgive us, and we will be forgiven. One question that's asked from time to time, and I think it's a good question, since Jesus is all man at the same time that he's all God, we understand that, right? Jesus is all man at the same time that he's all God. He's not some, he's not some concept from Greek mythology where he's half man and half God. No, he's all man at the same time that he's all God, and he's perfect. He has never sinned. So why does he want to be baptized by John? He doesn't even have any sin in his life. Why would Jesus want to be baptized by John for the forgiveness? Well, he isn't being baptized by John for the, so he can have his sin forgiven. He doesn't have any sin to be forgiven of. He's being baptized by John as a visual picture that he wants to be obedient in doing what his heavenly Father is asking him to do. And so when Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River, we consider that to be the beginning 
of his earthly ministry. Now, the significant thing I want us to look at in our chapter today is found beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Let's look at that. I'm going to read five verses beginning in 16, and then I'm going to, turn, I'm going to ask you to turn the, the page and go to Mark chapter 2 quickly. I'm going to ask you to read a couple more verses. But listen to this, Mark chapter 1, 16 to 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 17 says, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Okay, I think within that short little paragraph, we have the word follow that shows up either two or three or four times. Let's just turn the page. Let's let's go ahead. Mark chapter 2. I want to read two verses beginning in 13. Once again, verse 13, once again Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Verse 14, as he walked along he saw Levi. Levi is one of those guys that has two names also. Sometimes he's known as Levi, sometimes he's known as Matthew. Verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, there's that word, follow me again, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, out of those six or seven verses, I want us to take something that we can take with us today. Most of Mark chapters 1 and chapters 2 take place within the city of Capernaum. If you have a Bible that has maps in the back, I'd like you to turn to those maps for a minute. If your Bible has maps, because our projector, unless it miraculously shows up, if your Bible has maps, and I want you to find a map that says something about Jesus in Palestine, or Jesus traveled in Palestine, or New Testament times, or something, it's one of those full-page color maps We buy these Bibles, and we carry these Bibles around for 20 or 30 years, and we hardly ever look at the maps, okay? I want you to find the map that near the bottom is the city of Jerusalem, and near the top is the Sea of Galilee. Okay, have you got a map that looks something like that? Okay, I want you to find the Sea of Galilee near the top of that map, and on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, there's the city of Capernaum. Got it? I need one person to say, I've got it. Okay, good. We're there. Okay. Let's think about this. Hold on to that map. Mark, most of what happens in Mark chapter 1 and chapter 2 and other places we'll discover, it takes place within the city of Capernaum. So now you have to picture Jesus up there on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. I can tell you from history that Capernaum was a community of about A thousand people may have been as large as 1,500 people at the time Jesus was there. The Sea of Galilee is a beautiful lake. It's a freshwater lake fed by the waters of the upper Jordan River. The Sea of Galilee, and some of you may have been there, I've never seen it, but the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. 
Okay, so we're down a ways now. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. The Sea of Galilee is approximately the same size as the city of Sioux Falls. Okay? The Sea of Galilee is 14 miles from north to south and 6 miles from east to west. Okay, that's not exactly the size of Sioux Falls, but I actually went on the website last week and discovered that the city of Sioux Falls, just inside the city limits, is 72 square miles. Now, if you and I drive around on the city limits, I mean, it's not like there's a brick wall on the other side of the road. I mean, there's still people over there and houses and businesses that haven't been annexed into the city yet. Okay, the city of Sioux Falls is about 72 square miles. The Sea of Galilee is 80 square miles. So you can picture, as you're standing over here on the west side of Sioux Falls and you want to look to the east side, it's about that distance. Josephus, our first century historian, tells us that on any given day, at the time Jesus walked the earth, there were over 300 fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee at any one time. Okay? So that's where we're at. Now, Here's one thing that has fascinated me for years. The Sea of Galilee is this little town up there on the northwest corner. The city of Capernaum is this little town on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And the thing that's fascinated me is that of the 12 disciples that Jesus has traveling with him for the next three or three and a half years, five of the 12 disciples are from that same town. James and his brother John, Peter and his brother Andrew, and Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. We've got five guys from the same little town, Capernaum. Five guys who are five of the twelve disciples of Jesus. Five guys who all grew up in this same little town. Five guys who knew each other since... They were old enough to get in trouble with mom and dad. They all went to the same synagogue. And like all good Jewish boys, they were more than likely waiting for a rabbi to come and invite them to come and be trained. And so when Jesus invites these five guys to what? Come and follow me. Well, they went without any hesitation whatsoever. So here we have Jesus, this humble servant, beginning his ministry by forming a team that would help him preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Okay, now I want us to, remember we went back 700 years a minute ago. Now I want us to go ahead. I want us to go ahead three years. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28. From Mark chapter 1, we're going to go forward three years or maybe three and a half years to Mark chapter 28. And let me read three verses beginning in verse 18. You're familiar with these. If you've been hanging around church at all over your life, you know these verses. This is just before Jesus goes back to heaven. Verse 18, Matthew 28, 18 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Think about this with me. The training of the disciples who Jesus was going to ask to go and take the good news to all nations, the training of those disciples who are going to have the responsibility to take the good news of Jesus to the far corners of the earth. The training of those disciples begins right here in Mark chapter 1. When Jesus invites these four guys and then the fifth guy in Mark chapter 2, he invites these disciples to come and follow him. And what what happened in Mark chapter 1, I'm convinced, is still happening today. Jesus is still in the business of inviting men and women, boys and girls, to what? To come and follow him. He's asking all of us. I want you to understand that. He's not just asking the people who sit over here or the people who sit here in the middle. He is asking all of us to be involved in advancing the good news of Jesus to all nations. Now, whether that means we go or we stay home and pray, he's asking us to be involved. He's asking us to give up our love for the world and Give him first place in our life. He's asking us, let's understand this, to say no to sin. And yes to godliness. He's asking us to do the same things that he's asking these these young guys who were his disciples. He's asking us to say no to pride and yes to humility. He's asking us to say no to holding grudges. And yes, to forgiveness. He's asking us to say no to wasting our time. And yes, to spending time with Him. So let me close with this question. And the same question I'm asking you is the question I'm asking myself. I'm asking you this. What is one thing you need to change in your life right now in order to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a minute. What's one thing you need to change? And you know God is asking you to do it. You don't need, there's no confusion. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and tell us what that thing is, but you know what it is. What's that one thing that God is asking you to change in order to be a better disciple for Him? Now, before I pray, let's talk about homework for next week. You guys, I'm assuming you did really great. You read Mark chapter 1. Next week, we're on to Mark chapter 2. I'm going to twist it a little bit. I want you to read Mark chapter 2, okay? But I also want you to read Mark chapter 1 again, okay? And you can read it either order. And I promise you this, by the time we get to Mark 16, I'm not going to have you read all 15 chapters to get through chapters. But this week... Let's read Mark chapter 1 and then read Mark chapter 2. Let me close with these words and then I'm going to pray. It says in Jude chapter 1, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's just pray for a minute. Lord, I just ask that you would encourage each one of us 
to make one change in our life, Lord, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be big, even a little change. So that we could say a week from now or two weeks from now, we feel closer to Jesus because we've eliminated. We've either added something that will bring us closer to Jesus or we've eliminated something that has been keeping us from Jesus. So God, we ask that you do your work in each of our lives. We thank you for this this precious book that we hold in our hands that serves as a lighthouse for our life. We ask that you'd continue to care for us and be an encouragement in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.